1: Today's episode of the Chase to Must Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So... If you're in the Metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Ponko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Ponko Chicken, where it eats meets West. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas
0: Podcast. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> my nephew needs me to court. See, I hate
0: I already hate it. I hate it.
1: All right, welcome back to a Tuesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast, Stacy Gatsoulias is here. Stacy, good evening. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are you?
1: I am proud that I remembered how to pronounce your last name.
2: I'm proud of you as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I remember the first time you told me how to pronounce it, like, on the podcast. I guess it's been over a year now, but um, I said it quickly just to avoid a potential um, flub <laughs> on my end, yeah. so... That's the key, folks. If you're ever unsure about a word, just really say it fast.
2: It's uh, it looks scary, but it's not scary. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I could have had a much worse Greek last name than that. It's only nine letters. I mean, I could have had like a sixteen-letter Greek last name. So thank God that didn't happen.
1: No, no. Um, yeah, that that is interesting. And I, I, I think because I'm a natural doofus, I thought it was Italian when I first saw that. So, <laughs> um, there you go. This well, is yeah.
2: I am Italian actually my oh. mom's Irish and Italian and my dad was Greek
1: so <laughs> see I'm actually an expert on uh um all this kind of stuff turns out <laughs> <laughs> well either way I appreciate you taking the time tonight to talk a little baseball with me Stacy um there is something you're very familiar with the Yankees and listeners who listen and read your work know that you're very familiar with the Yankees but um we're not going to talk about the Yankees. We're going to talk about this other team in New York that um, has decided to make a playoff push um, just completely out of nowhere. And it's it's weird because when you look at the NLE standings, it shouldn't look weird because this is what we all thought going into the season where we thought it was going to be a four-team race and mm-hmm. like Dakota had the Braves like tied for the third uh, spot in the East. And like this was just going to be a very tight group with the Marlins being terrible, but these four teams had a roster that theoretically should have challenged for a playoff spot. And now we're here and we're all like, Oh, do we really believe the Mets? I'm like, well, this is what they should have been all along. And I don't know, like, what do, what do you think has happened to the Mets for them to finally figure out? Oh yeah, we were in this world series four years ago and we have a lot of good pieces and um, we should not be as bad as we've been.
2: Yeah. I don't know. It's really weird. I mean, this hot streak that they're on, you know, I don't know if they'll be able to sustain it because they're playing at their current, like their current record is what their Pythag is. Mm. So, and I don't think when they calculated the Pythag, they figured that the Mets would be winning nine out of 10 games to get there. <laughs> so like, I, I don't really know what's happening with them. I mean, is it great for Mets fans? Sure. They have something to really cheer about. Um, you know, can they potentially make the wild card at least? Yes. And I'm kind of hoping because the NL wildcard, there are a bunch of teams bunched up there, and I want as much chaos as possible leading into the playoffs. Like, I want four, at least four tied teams so they have to do multiple play in games. (laughs) Like, I just want chaos. And if the Mets want to be a part of it, more power to
1: them. (laughs) I mean, the NL is complete chaos because the AL is just, I feel like the AL has been like this the last couple of years now, where it's just, oh, Yankees, Astros, Indians. I mean, the Twins have made it a little interesting, but they did this two years ago. And um, it's, it just seems like it's the same five teams that are <laughs> going for it. But the NL is just a dumpster fire for so many teams. And <laughs> yeah. like I want to write off the Rockies. I really do. They have like, the second worst record in baseball. But can we really rule out Rocktober? You never know. Like I just, right. I can't do it and it's stupid because they are terrible and they shouldn't be as bad as they are but that's part of the reason i'm like i can't just roam out i'm like they should not be this bad um but yeah like it's just they're crashing the party and um there's this little thing about now people are looking at the 1969 stuff because um mm-hmm. they just celebrated that uh anniversary obviously but um so they celebrated that five weeks ago and this is from forbes um they fell eleven games under five hundred after that celebration. And that was twenty four days ago. Right. Um uh, and now they're a playoff contender after sweeping a double from the Marlins on Monday afternoon. Um the Mets have won eleven to twelve and are seventeen and six since the all star break to improve to fifty seven and fifty six. And they're only two and a half back at the wild card spot. Like it's just it's amazing how quickly things can change in baseball and how um it's a long season. It's just we forget about this every year where it's like oh, this season's really long, and if you have a lot of talent, like there is all kinds of opportunities for you to get hot one month.
2: Mm -hmm. And the opposite's true, because the same Mm -hmm. thing could go the other way, where a team is doing really well, and then, like the Red Sox, they sweep the, not sweep the Yankees, they beat them three out of four, and they're thinking, okay, we're working our way back into the AL East race, and then they get swept back-to-back by the Rays and the Yankees, and they lose eight in a row. (laughs) And they find themselves fourteen and a half back now, so it's it's baseball is great in that way because it can go either way, like you can have a really good week, you can have a really bad week, and you can um pretty much kill your playoff chances in that little amount of time this far out from the playoffs,
1: yeah, and I think that's a good thing though, like I love that like even if we talk ourselves into the the Mets and like there are a lot of Braves fans that are like, oh, no, we're we're fine. And they're not really worried about um, anyone catching them. I mean, they're up several games in the NL East and they've become believe, but they're not playing well right now. And it's just like things can change on a dime like mm-hmm. this. They could have a really bad month. Um, July should have been worse based on their schedule, which leads me to the Mets schedule. And that I don't know if you've seen who they've beaten on this 17 of 23 streak but it's not a lot of good teams. But at the same for, time, I'm right. not going to penalize a team for doing what they're supposed to do, which is beat up on the bad teams.
2: Exactly. And that's the way you make it into the playoffs. You have to beat everyone, the good teams and the bad teams. That's what the Red Sox did last year.
1: Yeah. And I I don't think that's a good enough reason to invalidate what the Mets are doing, if just like they're beating up bad teams. It's like, well, they also didn't do something really dumb and extremely Metsy and training Noah Syndergaard at the deadline while also firing Marcus Stroman, because there is, I, I just, I don't even know how you come to that conclusion that that might be a good idea because te- there are just so many teams that would kill for a five man rotation of it. Like I understand the health concerns is a real thing with a lot of these guys, but the possibility of Stroman, Sindergaard, Mats, DeGrom, and Wheeler it's just you You keep that together. And if Wheeler leaves the summer, whatever. Like you're going to have another guy. Like that is an insane group. And you didn't have right. to give up that much for Strowman anyway. Like you're in New York. Pay these guys and just roll the dice. You were in the World Series four years ago. And you right. have a lot of young talent. And the guys that you've paid aren't even working out. Like this is actually like all the people that they paid a lot of money to: Jonas Espadis, Jed Lowry, Robinson Cano. I think it's like sixty-five million or something of just basically dead cap. None of these right. guys are the reason they're good. I just <laughs> it's un it's so extremely messy. Sure. <laughs> oh my god, Charlie's Familia. I definitely just butchered that. Six point eight seven ERA. Just everything about this group doesn't make sense. But then
2: um, you know, and Diaz too. Diaz has had a rough go of it.
1: Yeah. I just, I don't know. I can't, I go back and forth on this. Like the Mets should be here. And I'm like angry that they it took them this long to figure this out. I, they're just like <laughs> a, I'm just a disappointed dad. And I'm not even a Mets fan. It's just, they drive me insane. And I don't well, they, know why it's like they do.
2: They, it's like they accidentally figured it out. Yes. Like they fell into it.
1: <laughs> they don't deserve this.
2: Like, right. The, they
1: just don't. Um, Like the fact that, <laughs> God it's unbelievable. And I just I love the Mickey Calloway quotes. I love Brody figuring like everything about this group should not work. Not mm-hmm. none of this makes sense. It's all highly combustible. You had Mickey calloway threatening reporters like a month ago.
2: No, with Vargas and everything, yeah. God. I,
1: just, <laughs> I want them in the playoffs. That's what I've decided. I want we need the Mets. Like, who would you go with in a one game playoff if they get a wild card spot? Who who's your pitcher for them?
2: Uh I would say DeGrom. Okay yeah
1: yeah that probably has to grom can you imagine they just do like two or three innings of all their main starters that's just how they do it and they just avoid the bullpen altogether
2: that could work
1: that would be amazing like i want them to get weird
2: yeah almost like you know an opening situation mm-hmm.
1: but just but all the rotation.
2: <laughs> that would be that would be something
1: Mets, i know you're listening brody van wagenen very big fan of the podcast um hi brody
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, in all seriousness, though, do you think, if you're Washington, you're Rizzo, or you're Alex Anthopoulos, are you at all worried about where the Mets are at right now? Are you concerned about your playoff chances?
2: Mm, I would say that they're probably keeping their eyes on them, sure. Yeah. I would think so.
1: Yeah. The Braves, uh, they're free agent. I mean, not free agent. Uh, they are They're pre-deadline acquisitions have uh not got gr- not gone great um right. shane green uh not great chris martin gave up a bajillion feet home run last night to walk <laughs> lose on a walk off to the twins like <laughs> I just- yeah
2: that ball went far
1: yes it, it <laughs> went <laughs> it was a very it was a very mean home run is, mm-hmm. is what i would say and if they don't figure out the bullpen i mean i went back and forth on this i don't know what um what you thought about what the Braves should have done at the deadline, but I, I was okay. Like you could, no contender should ever like avoid just taking flyers on relievers. That's just what you do. Right. Um, but I would have liked like a Mike Leake. Or some mm. other starter, because like Fulton Evans is pitching, I, I think tonight, but they're like Galsman just got uh, sent over to the Reds. And like there's just a lot of guys in flux I don't trust Tehran. And then you have Keikel, who I like a lot, but I wish he was there for the whole season. But it's really mm. just like two guys you trust going into the postseason it's him and Soroka, because Freed's just not healthy and he's been up and down now. Like I don't know. I thought they should have acquired at least one more stable arm, like an Annabelle Sanchez type. And mm-hmm. that, that was Mike Leake or somebody, but they didn't do it.
2: Right well, there are a lot of teams that didn't do things at the deadline that you were expecting them to do. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm surprised that – well, no, I'm not surprised that the Yankees didn't do anything because I I felt that in my gut that they weren't going to do something because they were going to do the whole – Cashman's whole thing is, oh, well, Severino's coming back, Batances Mm -hmm. is coming back, we have guys coming back from the IL, so it'll be like we made trades, which I'm kind of like, whatever. Um, And then you look at the Yankees – I know we weren't supposed to talk about them,
1: but we can, because I'm talking about the Braves. I think like, ultimately we have to talk about our teams on every podcast. Yes. (laughs) Okay.
2: You know, right now they're 73 and 39.
1: Mm -hmm. Pretty good.
2: With with like 55 guys on the IL, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's like every day there's a new injured player. And, they're not minor injuries. They haven't had Luis Severino all year. They haven't had Delon Betances all year. Giancarlo Stanton basically has been out all year. Um, they lost Miguel and Duhar for the year. Um, and then you have these guys, you know, Gio Urshela, Mike Tuchman, um, even uh, Breivik Varela last night, Like, <laughs> like or Valera. Like, wh- how are these guys doing anything? Like, I don't understand how, with all of those injuries and the guys that have taken the place of the injured players they shouldn't be doing this well it's weird you didn't <laughs> and with mentioned
1: their- dj LeMahieu, who got serious al mvp hype uh, about a month ago and yeah. that's just like if you're a small market team this is why you hate the yankees we're like what the <laughs> fuck is this dj LeMahieu? are you kidding me this guy is a superstar now. He just goes to New York, and they and Brian Cashman gets to just be like, yeah, we had our eye on him for a while, and we just thought um, he could be better than Machado this year. Like, you they, yeah. they can have those quotes where it's like, okay, man, uh, okay.
2: Okay, whatever uh, you say. Yeah.
1: Like, I understand you can say that now because it's worked out, but like, all right, bro. And I just – that's like the most Yankee thing ever, where they just – like, DJ LeMahieu. what? How well, is this thing, happening?
2: The thing that's funny is – You know, pitchers will go to the Yankees and they can't pitch. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, guys who go as offensive players, they do well. It's like the Yankees and the Astros. Like, you know, the Yankees pick up all the good offensive guys and the Astros get all the pitchers to pitch well. Yeah. It's very strange. But, yeah, the Yankees should not be doing as well as they're doing. Um, You know, they did have that rough stretch that I mentioned part of it when they were they lost three out of four in Fenway. And, you know, they did they split. A series with the twins was that a split or two out of three but the series was just crazy you know the starters couldn't last long they were giving up tons of runs and you know the rotation has kind of calmed down a bit and you know it was funny that the Yankees didn't do anything at the deadline fans were really pissed and they haven't lost yet since the trade deadline so maybe maybe Cashman knows what he's doing
1: <laughs> yeah I mean Aaron Hicks not a not a factor this year and right he'd become a Really important piece. And Gary Sanchez has kind of fallen off a little bit um from his hot start. But I mean, Brett Gardner kind of getting a little resurgence there. I hope he's good forever. Like Brett oh, Gardner's but- one of those people that I just I hope is good at baseball for forever. Because like Ooh. Alex gordon slide. So oh, yeah. Oh, and he's yeah. like Alex Gordon a Jace in New York. And I hope he just he the gritty left fielder. I hope he finds a way in uh Yankees lore for years to come.
2: Well DJ LeMahieu just hit a four hundred and thirty three foot home run. <laughs>
1: God. he has a 3.9 war he leads this team in war offensively like it's and just he,
2: yeah and he has a new career high in home runs away from Coors Field which totally makes sense oh my
1: god and Rockies like you know the Rockies are just loving this terrible season DJ LeMayhew, they who they just didn't want and LeMahieu talked about being hurt that they didn't want him and then just uh doing this Cameron Maben the mm-hmm. noted great 32 year old with a 137 <laughs> WRC plus with the Yankees, like just that's the and Gio
2: Urshela, yeah. they traded him for cash last year, and he's <laughs> you know it's it's really unbelievable. This is a very strange, I think for everyone, I think for every team in baseball, it's just a weird season.
1: Yeah, um, you do need to let Clint Frazier go. Like you need to free, oh. you need to free the pythons.
2: I, I just, I can't, I can't, don't even get me started on that because I'm so mad at the Yankees for what they're doing to this kid. <laughs> it, tr- it drives me crazy. They should have traded him. Why? I, I, I think they just want to keep control over him.
1: Cashman's really waiting for the perfect trade for, mm-hmm. for him. And I just, yeah. I don't know who that is, but I mean, would you have done it for Baumgartner?
2: No, I didn't want Bumgarner. I want a Strowman. <laughs>
1: And that wouldn't even cost, it probably wouldn't have cost Frazier for Stroman.
2: Well, I don't know, because it felt like, um, you know, with the Yankees, like people want. Yeah, I maybe joked they
1: just it. would have been meaner.
2: Yeah, I joked on Twitter that, you know, teams ask the Yankees for like four prospects, a yacht, and stock options, and then they'll <laughs> take a bag of balls from other teams. <laughs> I mean,
1: it's not a bad strategy. It's the Lakers thing where it's like what they did, I mean, what the Pelicans did to Los Angeles. They're like, I think teams around the NBA are just like, we're going to make this as difficult and painful as possible because we all want you to be bad at basketball. Right. People want the Yankees to be bad at baseball.
2: And they're not yet.
1: (laughs) No, it's not realistic, but I understand the sentiment.
2: (laughs) I was saying this today on my podcast that, you know, Yankee fans overreact to every loss. And the last time the Yankees were truly bad and under 500, I was in high school. And I'm turning 45 in three weeks, so Yankee fans need to calm down.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's going to be okay, Yankee fans. Um, mm-hmm. where it might not be okay, or it might be okay, depending on who you ask. Mm. Um, the Rays should they have been more bold in trying to fend off the Red Sox and the A's and the rest of the AL wildcard contenders?
2: Yeah, that was also strange. Um, the Rays and the Red Sox, I was kind of surprised that nothing really The Red was Sox doing was there.
1: I think more surprising for me, but it just because yeah. the Rays, it's how they operate. But the Red Sox just insistence on just not doing yeah. anything about their bullpen is just weird. very
2: strange. Yeah. Yeah. I could I actually couldn't believe that. I was expecting them to pull off something at the very last second, like the Astros did. Mm. Um and they didn't. And I thought, Okay, are they just punting the season? <laughs>
1: Which doesn't yeah, make like, sense?
2: No, no. Um, you know, and they'll like to blame the World Series hangover. But you know, look at all the other like the uh, um, the Dodgers have made the World Series two years in a row. The Royals made the two, the World Series two years in a row. Um, it, I don't think there's a World Series hangover. I think that's a bunch of bullshit. They're just going to cling. It's a World cling...
1: Series like being che- like i don't even know what to call this it was just being cheap after winning the world series like if they just mm-hmm. re-signed kimbrell and gave him the, those years like you're the red sox you have a top five payroll this is just something you do there was not yeah. a better option and if you're not going to address it for sure do it um i mean joe kelly too but it was just they they just didn't address it and now they're now they're it it it's just it's not working and yeah. it's just bizarre. Dombrowski as a aggressive of a general manager that he is for him not to, to do more stuff. I guess part of it is the fact that their farm system is now just deserted because of their moves the last couple of years. So there's just not a lot of stuff they can offer for top of the line guys at this point. Um, right. I don't know. They're in a weird spot.
2: Well, I mean, as a Yankee fan, I'm kind of glad. Yeah, you're like smiling. You're like, yeah, it's is great. Uh, I love it. Um, <laughs> like, this is fabulous. I don't want the Red Sox to win, it, win another World Series until 2104. So if uh, the baseball gods can get that going, that'd be great.
1: <laughs> but do you want Travis Darnot to be the best catcher in baseball? Because that might be the case now.
2: Oh, my God. I'm so glad the Yankees don't see the Rays for... Uh, they only have two more games against them, and it's like the end of September because he was just... I wanted to kill him (laughs) through the TV. I wanted to kill him. I'm like, why are you suddenly hitting all these home runs against the Yankees? Like, where'd you come from? And let's talk about that. Let's talk about all the (laughs) home runs that are being Mm -hmm. hit. And guys, Austin Romine, his last two home runs have been like 400 plus feet. Mm -hmm. Like, no, there's nothing wrong with the balls. The balls are perfectly fine. This is totally normal.
1: (laughs) Austin Romine is 30, but I feel like he's been in the Yankees pipeline for at least 35 years.
2: It feels that way, yes.
1: I've known about him. I remember him as a prospect I, like years ago. Like he was in that Francisco Cervelli like time period, like Tyler Clippard and yeah. Jabba <laughs> and all those dudes. Like he was in that group and he's just like the last guy standing. I he's just gonna be there forever.
2: Right. God. Yep.
1: Austin he- Romine. Shout out to him. Making a career yeah. out of nothing. Like he doesn't belong. This should not still be going on at thirty years old, but good for him. I don't know. Um do you think the Rays could have the best rotation in the American League come playoff time? Is there a case for that?
2: No. Okay. Astros.
1: It it like is it too top heavy or is it just it's definitely the Astros.
2: I think it's definitely the Astros. Okay. Yeah.
1: I really like that. I guess it's just kind of thinking about, like, is there... Who would you be more terrified of in a three-man rotation with? I mean, Snell and Glasnow and those dudes. I'm like, huh. I think both Not that they're
2: bad. I think they're a very close second.
1: Yeah. That's maybe what I'm looking for. They're a close second, right? You can make the case they're close.
2: Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. It's not like... Yeah. They're definitely close.
1: Yeah. The way I guess I I'm also just not a huge Wade Miley guy. So like I just wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if that just like imploded come playoff time and um I don't know. It it just depends on how you feel about guys like him. I mean Peacock's not great. Um I don't know. I just think I like the Ray's depth more than the mm-hmm. the Astros.
2: Well, I just don't understand why these guys all go to the Astros and suddenly start pitching like Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. Like, Sanchez went over, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, he's throwing six innings of no-hit ball. That's totally normal. Like, like, <laughs> like where'd that come from? <laughs> it's that, I mean, uh... if some people were saying that, um, you know, I can't remember which pitch it was, that Toronto made him get away from a certain pitch, and then he used it when he was pitching with the Astros the other night. And that's what helped him. Hmm. Cause it's kind of like the Yankees were what they did to Sonny Gray. They were trying to like change his way of throwing and telling him to throw more off speed stuff. And it just totally screwed him up. And now that he's back on a team, that's not as high profile as the Yankees and a pitching coach. That's not as lazy as Larry Rothschild. he's doing better. Lance Lynn's doing better. (laughs) All these guys who were with the Yankees are doing better now that they're not there. That's another thing that drives me crazy. I went off this whole off season about why is Larry Rothschild there? He doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> it drives me crazy. <laughs> and
1: he'll probably be there forever.
2: Forever. I figured once Girardi went, he would go and no. then he stuck around with Boone. I was like, damn,
1: <laughs> yeah, he's going to be around forever. I, mm-hmm. I think you just got to get uh, comfortable with that. Um, last. Oh, well, wait, I guess there's two things, but um, the Cubs, I feel oh. like I'm taking crazy pills with the way people talk about them, where it's like the sky is falling. They have a 90% playoff chance. They're still fine. They're still first in the central. They still have a lot like Jason Hayward to good hitter. Now, um, mm-hmm. like they're starting rotation a lot. Like they're healthy. They're good. Um, their biggest thing. I mean, they're both been shaky. Kimbrell signing him at the middle of the season, obviously it's been kind of an issue. Pedro Strop's fallen off a cliff. Um, which really sucks because he was Mr. Reliable for them for the last couple of years. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I think people are overreacting to the way things are going for Chicago. Is, is that fair?
2: I think that's fair. But I also, as we spoke earlier, with how close everything is in the NL, especially the NL Central, that division is, I think, one of the closest out of all of baseball, mm-hmm. where, again, they could have – a bad stretch of games and find themselves on the outside looking in because of the way all the teams are bunched in the wildcard race. Um, And Lauren Thieson of Deadspin wrote about their bullpen. (laughs) The title of her article was the Cubs bullpen is currently held together with Scotch tape and sticky tack. Mm -hmm. You know, Kimbrel's injured. Brad Kinsler just got injured last night and he was put on the IL a couple of hours ago. As you said, uh, Strope, is kind of falling off a cliff a little bit. Um, You know, Kimbrell was pitching like a guy who didn't have a regular spring training because he didn't have regular spring training and he was signed so late. Then he was starting to pitch okay and he got hurt. He hurt his knee. So, you know, the bullpen is the big question. You know, can they hit enough to win? Sure. Uh, Is the rotation good enough to keep them in the game? Sure. But, you know, if you have a close game and the bullpen is called upon to try and hold on to a lead. It might be a little iffy. <laughs> yeah,
1: but like no, I, I guess they're just an imperfect team. Sure, but they're a good team, and right? They're going to hit enough. Their rotation's fine. Their bullpen, kind of like the Braves, I, I think they're just kind of in that zone where it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd be terrified in close games late, but I also just know I have really good offense, a really good rotation, and who knows? We'll get some by. We'll get some bodies back healthy and. We'll we'll see what happens. I feel like there should be more attention to the Brewers being like two games under over five hundred. Mm-hmm. Like that's more of like a huh, what's going on here? This right. is this is concerning.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not playing how I thought they would have played. Um, you know, they're currently third in the division, two games out of the wild card. Um, you know, they they beat the Pirates last night but they were swept by the Cubs this weekend. So that was a big series for the Cubs. Um yeah, they're not playing the way I thought they would be. Um you know, they made a few moves at the deadline but nothing earth-shattering. You know, they got like Drew Pomeranz and you know, there were rumors that maybe Bumgarner was going there but that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I think they're definitely the team where you kind of look at them like, huh, that's kind of strange that they're behind both the Cubs Cubs and the Cardinals, because people were expecting them to do better.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. The Cardinals are a great story, because I just didn't think they'd be a playoff team. But mm-hmm. the Brewers are just... I mean, this is where the Cubs should have been. I mean, they're probably outpacing a lot of their projections, because a lot of uh, projections were down on the Cubs coming into the year. Like, oh, yeah. You can make the yeah. case they're kind of overachieving right now.
2: hmm Yeah, they were... Again, I've, the Pakota was... 70-something? I think that was... Yeah, that was a big, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it was bad.
1: And here they are. So it's just right. like, ah, I don't know. I think the Cubs are fine. I think it's just you're playing in Chicago and you're the Cubs and people are overanalyzing freaking out. I'm like, if I'm a Brewers fan, I'm pissed off. Like, I'm like, what is this? What? How are we only two games under 500 with uh, potentially the NL MVP? How is our starting rotation still like this? That's what and, I'd be annoyed about.
2: Yeah. And their run differential is minus 27.
1: No, not great.
2: <laughs> right.
1: I don't know. That's like more of a sky is falling kind of situation. Um, last thing, and then we'll wrap up here. Um okay. Your favorite and least favorite trade deadline trade.
2: Well, I mean, it's not really my favorite because I don't like them, but mm. the Astros with Granky. I mean, yeah. that came out of nowhere, and, you know, I mean, good for them. They want to win, obviously, and, uh, you know, he'll probably help them do that. So <laughs>
1: I mean, as the biggest Zach Greinke guy of all time, and someone who wanted the Braves to trade Jeff Frank years and years ago for him, mm. um, he'll never be a Brave. And it was flirted with this offseason. I mean, this summer. And uh, God, it wasn't meant to be.
2: Talk about someone who's been around a long time. Okay. I went to a game at Yankee Stadium, old Yankee Stadium, on August twenty eighth, 2005, Royals against the Yankees. Zach Greinke started that game. <laughs> Jason Giambi hit two home runs and had seven RBIs. Jesus. And the Yankees won 10-3. I used to – I was part of a website. We were like a Yankee-centric website that did a lot of funny photoshops back then. And we photoshopped the Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium scoreboard, and put it as Giambi 7, Royals 3. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Because he had such a big game. (laughs) Uh Yeah yeah and granky started that was two thousand five.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's a legend he just yeah loses velocity, doesn't matter. That mm-hmm. guy is just gonna be good at baseball for for years and years. Mhm there's some Jamie Moyer stuff there where it's just like he's still around at fifty something, and you're like, Wow, huh <laughs> I don't know, I want maybe that's all that's just me hoping like I, I want him in my life for as long as possible because like once he's gone he's gone forever like right. Zach grinky is you're never gonna hear from him again even if oh I think yeah he,
2: no he's gone yeah. he hates yeah.
1: this stuff like he hates mm-hmm. like he's a weirdo he's a he like i just identify with him so much and all of his answers that i'm just like that guy is immediately checking out of baseball altogether and we're never seeing him again
2: definitely yeah
1: like uh the hall of fame uh the zach grinky come on um zach's not here oh okay (laughs) zach is like on a farm um just i I don't know zach's somewhere else
2: he doesn't have a phone he doesn't have running water he's just living
1: he sends his regards (laughs) (laughs) job well done um and also just unbelievable contracts like that dude the amount of money he's made is unbelievable Love yeah. everything about zach is legendary so shout out to him um stacy this has been great thank you so much for making the time tonight um where can we listen to you and read you
2: um i don't really write anymore i'm mostly podcasting mm-hmm. uh so any yankee fans out there want to listen to me every monday through friday i uh post a podcast. It's called Locked on Yankees. It's only about 15 minutes long. So, you know, not too long. You know, you can listen to it on your way to work or during lunch. Um, and that's pretty much it for now. I'm trying to see if I can get back to writing about baseball again. We'll see if that happens.
1: Okay. Well, I hope so, because I like your writing on baseball, and this podcast um, is something you should check out if you're a Yankees fan, even if you're not, and you just want more information on the Yankees. Um, Stacy, thank you so much. Talk to you soon.
2: Okay, thank you.
1: All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, and I am now joined by someone who is very familiar whether or not... Texas is indeed back. Keelan Jones out of The Athletic. How's it going, man?
0: Good, Chase. How are you doing, bro? I'm uh,
1: I'm good. How are things The Athletic and, uh, you know, the Texas beat these days?
0: Uh, it's going great. Um, I just got down to Austin. Um, you know, the Longhorns are in the middle of the preseason training camp. So, you know, everything is going pretty well, especially on their end because, um, as you mentioned, the question is whether or not they're back. So, you know, the vibe around campus and within Austin itself and around the team is very positive, you know, going into a pretty pivotal year.
1: So it's year three. And, um, I think that makes everything pivotal and there's just been a lot of stuff with Tom Herman just over the years and he's done some pretty interesting stuff, uh, <laughs> to say the least. He's an interesting mm-hmm. guy. Um, but he's recruiting at the level you need to to really actually get back in just that power five juggernaut status and i i guess i'm still just curious like what the expectations are because i wonder how much of it is the oklahoma game how much of it is the fact they beat up uga in their bowl game heading into the offseason like what is the atmosphere and what um do you think the like what do you think the expectations are internally and also um what the fans are. are they on the same page or is it different what what do you think
0: so uh, internally i think that they expect you know the finish in the top 10 i won't say you know the goal the desire obviously you want to be you know in the college football playoffs i think internally though they understand that they have a really young team um they lost eight starters you know full-time starters defensively they point out that a lot of guys played uh the younger guys who are you know elevated in the starting roles now do have some starting experience but um i, I think the biggest thing for them you know going in the next year is you know finish within the top 15 within the top 10 and you know potentially you know push for a college football playoff bid um as far as you know like the expectation externally i think fans understand that you know maybe saying they're a top five team like sports illustrated rating them you know, in the, in the preseason polls, a number five team. And I got a lot of feedback saying, I don't know about that. So, you know, the fans are kind of realistic in that regard, but you mentioned it before, like, you know, Tom, Tom Herman has done a phenomenal job in terms, in terms of recruiting. When you look at the past uh, two or three classes, they've all finished within the top five being 24 sevens ratings. Um, and so going into this year, you know, the infrastructure's there, like a lot of the guys, you know, who are within the program are, you know, Tom Herman's guys. And I think that the culture has kind of, the tone is kind of set, you know, for the groundwork that they want to, you know, build off of going forward. Um, uh, So, you know, and that all being said, I guess like I would put them, you know, like nine, I keep saying nine or 10 wins. Um, I'm conservative in that sense because I, I think, you know, the big 12 is very tricky and they have a younger team, but in terms of talent, they should finish within the top 10, potentially push for a top five bid depending on how you know they play against LSU's week two and Oklahoma uh when they face in the Red River showdown
1: how much do you think this group and this coaching staff looks at the Georgia game? Because I feel like that got lost under the rug of just what they did and like Georgia has moved on. But like do you think Texas and I know this is a young team, but do you think that's something that's just been etched in their mind of like the last time we played football was against a team that everybody just thought was the second best team in the country and we just wiped the floor with them
0: so the funny part is you know tom herman actually you know has this policy for his players on campus where you know they don't wear any sugar bowl gear like there is when you refer yeah when you refer to last year's team it is them it's not us. And that's what Tom Herman was saying. So the mentality really is, and he always says this or says this, you know, like you take, you take every single day by day. It's not even game by game, but it's literally one day at a time. So I think, you know, moving forward, they, they don't really care about that Georgia game, or it's not that they don't care. You know, it's a great you know thing to build off of, but, in terms of moving forward, they want to you know potentially outdo that team. They want you know the bar to be higher than just a New Year's New Year Six Bowl. They want to be playing you know or at least in contention for a national championship. So they they've put it behind them. The focus is moving forward.
1: When is it time? Like when do you think the Texas brass are expecting? this team to really be firmly in that national championship conversation? Do you think they have a timeline where it's like, okay, you've had your recruits, you've had this, like this is the year you better break through.
0: Um, I I think that, you know, probably internally, and I could probably, you know, get this info and I really should, but the timeline, you know, for me, I would say this personally from my perspective, like when you get a new coach um, you should give them at least three years because you're filtering out, you know, whatever, the previous regime was bringing in and their players and their culture, any remnants of that doesn't really get washed away really until year five, theoretically, because you have four-year players and whatnot. And they stay for four years. Um, so at least three years in, uh, Herman actually mentioned they're ahead of schedule when, when you look at last year, and they were really fortunate in a lot of games. They went seven and three in one-score games, got, had a lot of games come down to the wire. But, you know, that a lot of it was by design to down ways to win, so credit to them. But at the same time, um, you have a lot of inexperience, or maybe not inexperience. They're determined, they're determined as youth, you know, going into the season. So, I think personally, um, this—I personally don't think this year. I think next year, if you are expecting Texas to firmly, you know, confirm that they're back, I think next year's year where you have that hard discussion about whether they are back for real. I think this year they'll be around. They'll, they'll play at a similar level. In terms of results, I think they'll probably be a better team overall. But in terms of, you know, win-loss record, they could probably shoot for a 9-win-10-win season.
1: Interesting. Because I do wonder, with all of this hype now, that, like, I, I think there is a chance they have a better record last year than they do this year. And like you said, that this is a better team. And I just wonder what the narrative is around that group, if that's the case.
0: Yeah, I mean, like the national narrative is, you know, mentioned like Texas is Texas back. That literally is the narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, and and everyone's going to drive it because you know, it's such a polarizing. You know, it's a blue blood, college football team. It's also just and fun.
1: I just love it, saying is Texas back. I hope exactly. that's a question forever.
0: <laughs> you know, and, and you know, admittedly, it's fun for me too. Like, I grew up um, down in Southern California. I remember watching that Rose Bowl game. I, you know, just the impact that Vince Young had. You know, an entire generation—not only you know people our age, but you know, older people too, who love Texas football and college football in general. Like, you know, when Texas is playing well, college football is a lot more fun. And when, you know, they're as captivating a, a program as any within the entire nation. So I, I think that narrative is being driven on, you know, externally. Internally, though, the question isn't whether is Texas back? It's Is this group ready to, you know, make its own mark? This is a group that's trying to make its own legacy, not, you know, necessarily worry about the past. But, you know, trying to move forward and, in, 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 you know, carve its own, you know, narrative of, you know, we are here, not are we not we are back.
1: What makes Sam Ellinger so good?
0: That's a good question, man, because, you know, truth be told, um, when I first took the gig, I was like, okay, I remember Sam Ellinger. Like, it's, I'd watch the games. I remember watching the Kansas State game. I remember watching, like, West Virginia and the Oklahoma games and even the Georgia game. And I was like, okay, this could solid, but Going back through this tape, like, the comparisons of Tim Tebow are fine. Like, I'm all for that because they, they play very similarly. But in terms of arm talent, um, maybe not necessarily arm strength, but in terms of just having good touch, I think Ellinger has the potential to be a pro quarterback. Not necessarily a starter or, you know, I, I don't want to say, like, he's a top-ten guy or a lead player or all that. I'm just saying, like, I think he has NFL talent down the road because what he displayed during his sophomore year, especially in terms of not, you know, turning the ball over that was huge. Twenty-five-five uh, touchdown. The to interception ratio last year. Um, ju- just what he's able to do in terms of manipulating defenses and taking advantage of what's underneath, specifically over the middle of the field. And then what what he provides you as a runner too. I think he's an extremely dynamic player. So it doesn't surprise me at all that you know people are hyping him up, you know, to be a potential Heisman candidate or dark horse Heisman candidate. And he he might follow through and it wouldn't it honestly wouldn't surprise me and in terms of just the human being like he has a lot of poise um and understands you know the gravity of the position that he's in and he's a, a very clear and vocal leader on the team everyone respects him looks up to him when he speaks they listen so i think moving forward you know sam ellinger is someone that you know if you, if you were going to build a face of your program franchise whatever He's the type of personality and human being and honestly, the type of high caliber player that you would want at quarterback.
1: How is Tom Herman excelling in recruiting um, where previous administrations did not?
0: That's a really good question too. Um, So, I mean, you look at the staff and I was looking at that the other day, like he has a lot of continuity. Um, Literally every single person on his staff, on his coaching staff at least has ties to either Ohio, or excuse me, Ohio State or Houston. So they've had that interaction before. Um, not to say that, you know, Charlie Strong's regime wasn't there, but I think, you know, he just gets it. I, he comes from a national championship, you know, winning background. He's been around Urban Meyer, who, you know, when you look at Ohio State and, what what he was doing at Florida too and Utah so I mean Urban Meyer's background he's been in the room and he's seen how it's done in terms of being able to pluck recruits from necessarily wherever and then you have the advent of being in Texas um, and I'm sure that I don't know what it's like being a recruit but I'm sure that the narrative of hey you, you have a chance to bring Texas back to being you know the height of college football, I'm sure that plays a role in it, but you have, you know, high caliber recruits within your backyard. Um, and what Tom Herman has been able to do, especially in the age where other schools have been able to, you know, infiltrate Texas and still, you know, steal some of the top recruits. What he's been able to do over the past two, three years, with, and, you know, establish top five recruiting classes. And again, um, just, you know, earlier this week, this past week, that you, you saw and the five-star for the 2020 class in Bajan Robinson. So he's done a really good job in terms of just being able to sell um, the program. But what I really admire and what I assume is a selling point, you know, with him is he just understands, you know, how he has a really good gauge of human beings. Uh, he, he, he does a really good job talking. I'm sure every, you know, every coach kind of does. You have to be a pretty good salesman to be a, a football coach or a recruiter or whatever. But um, I, I just feel like, you know, the, the idea and the vision that he has for the program is very clear. and, you know, I'm sure other coaches have that too, but he has the advent of coaching at Texas and being able to sell that program and what their history is built on, and what, uh, you know, how many professional football players are turning out every year. So, uh, I think that all, you know, is complementary to itself and and helps him land these really high-scoring uh, recruiting classes.
1: How much is this team going to miss a Little Jordan Humphrey, and how much are we as just fans going to miss saying the 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 words Little Jordan Humphrey?
0: They're going to miss him a lot, man. Um, If they would have had him this year, it would have been, you know, I think it would have been even more of a case for them being proverbial, proverbially back, sorry, or, you know, cracking the top 10 for sure. But, um, you know, what he was able to do and what Texas was able to do with him schematically, like you saw him in the slot a lot. He's a bigger guy. they were able to put him in the backfield. And I think New Orleans has the NFL has him right now. And they're thinking about converting him to running back. He's just a really big dude and just a dynamic athlete. And they miss their, they don't really have that kind of, you know, player on the roster right now outside of Jordan Whittington, who's a phenomenal player, or at least he's going to be, but he's a true freshman. So I just think what little Jordan Humphrey was able to provide for them, but definitely going to miss it, especially in terms of explosiveness, which is something that Texas struggled last year with.
1: Who do we watch for on defense? Because it seems like with Herman and everybody else, we just always focus on offense, Ellinger, mm-hmm. Humphrey, guys like that. Um, and they'll have a one-two punch in the backfield, not a real clear number one like a Dante Foreman or somebody like that. It's just going to be um, a, a few different guys. But on defense, we don't really look at like what Todd Orlando is building. Outside of um, – just the safety. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, KD I like, yes. And it just cracks me up because he's like, these guys just pop up like the Harrison Smith types where it's mm-hmm. just like Tom a Like, I don't know where these kids come from, but they just, <laughs> they come out, they look the exact same. They play the exact same way. And I just appreciate it.
0: No, and he's a dog. And that's the funny part. They, they have a really, really talented secondary, like at least in the safety group and even the cornerbacks are just young. So, uh, Jalen Green, um, he's a sophomore cornerback that I'm really high on. Um, I think he probably has like one year or two before he solidified as, you know, potentially a, a good player. But he has a lot of talent and a lot of potential. Um, you know, the other safeties, too. I, I think that they just have a really solid safety group when you talk about Chris Chris Brown, Brandon Jones, DJ Foster, who hits really hard, DeMarvion uh, Overshawn, is another sophomore. They just have a bunch. They have a really, really solid collection of safety safety players and if i were going to pick like a potential star player to break out i would look at the defensive line they really are going to miss charles menahue uh him breaking out last year and providing the sacks that he did was you know extraordinary and very tremendous and key for them in terms of winning a lot of their games um taquan graham uh, he's going to step into that uh, that role opposite of Malcolm Roach on the defensive line. He's someone that I, I liked what he showed with flash during the spring game. And from, you know, the reports on recount practice, like he's, he's uh, on on the verge of being someone that could potentially break out for them, especially uh, considering that they need it this year. They really need someone who can provide a, a legitimate pass rush. So we'll, we'll see if he's that guy for them.
1: How does the schedule look? have, have you, done a lot of just deep diving into what this schedule actually means. So when you're thinking about wins and losses and like what matters most, um, for Herman in this group, um, what have you seen?
0: Well, I mean, it sets up pretty well for them. They don't travel out of state, um, outside of, you know, two or three games. So it's pretty huge for them when you look at especially the games that they have to play out out of state, um, Iowa state, which is further down the road, West Virginia, um, but other than that, you know, they, it sets up pretty nicely. Um, I, I keep saying nine and three, but that's just because, um, you know, like the Big 12 is kind of a crapshoot. I mean, you're playing against teams like West Virginia, who could sneak a bond, you Kansas State could sneak so and win, TCU, potentially Baylor. So there's just a lot of games that, you know, could end up where, where they just don't match up well. But this is a favorable schedule. I think, you know, they, the early Vegas lines, but Vegas does tend to offer, uh, you know, lower lines on, you know, prominent teams like USC and Texas. Um, they, they have them favored in 10 their games. A lot of the metrics have Texas winning, you know, around seven or eight games, which, you know, put them in the top 25. And it wouldn't really surprise me if it ended up being that low of a number. But personally, I think that they really should finish, you know, with at least nine wins. They They have a talented enough team. And when you look at some of the turnover for some of these big 12 teams, um, they they should be able to overcome that.
1: Do you think Tom Herman in this group is looking around the state of Texas with the different hires? And we'll wrap up here. Um, Jimbo Fisher, obviously building a, a recruiting juggernaut in a college station. You have Dana Holgerson now moving over to Houston, his old stopping grounds. And we know what he can do um, with smaller programs like West Virginia. Um, you have Matt Rule um, mm-hmm. NFL experience, all that kind of stuff where he, we don't know how much longer he's going to be there. Um, we'll see, but, um, him just getting that program to where it's at is kind of remarkable. Um, yeah. and then you have Wells, who's like the big wild card where it's like, he's not Kingsbury. It's not gonna be doing the same kind of stuff. He brought over like his entire staff from Utah state. Um, so we'll have to see if he's a good fit for Lubbock or if it falls apart. Like We don't really know what kind of recruiter he's going to be in that area and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you still have Cindy Dykes at SMU, and he'll get a certain kind of guy. But um, And then, of course, Gary Patterson and TCU. Um, I, the, don't get mad at me, horn Frogs. So I almost forgot about you, but yes. Um, do you think that is a potential problem in the coming years? Because they have recruited really well right now. But do you think that is something of a concern of just – how many great recruiters slash coaches are in this state now?
0: Um, you know, it, it kind of already is. Um, not even just within the Big 12, but, you know, um, our Max Olsen for the athletic, like he did this really, really good deep dive about how, you know, when Texas A&M defected to the SEC, how that kind of opened the door for a lot of the other, you know, Big 12 teams to kind of pillage and take, you know, more prominent talent from um texas and even oklahoma so i think that door has already been busted down um as far as but i I still think you know texas is just so one it's so massive and two there's just so many other talents you know within the state that i think texas will continue to recruit well within the state especially if they you know continue on the trajectory of the program you know if they win within the next if they make the college football playoff or even a New Year's Six Bowl, you know, this year and next year, they're on a trajectory that, you know, I think is appealing to the players out, you know, both within the state and outside of the state that would want to come and play at the university. So um, I think that's sustainable. I, I don't know if they'll continue can you know, consistently be like within the top five or top three, but if they win a national championship or two and then, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, they're vying with, you know, Davos Swinney and Clemson and Nick Saban and Alabama within the next two, three years. I'm not saying this year or next year, but, you know, two, two three, four years down the road, it wouldn't surprise me one bit.
1: All right. Well, um, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Um, what can we check out from you on TheAthletic.com?
0: Uh, so I just did a, a piece on six newcomers that, you know, are expect, not expected, but six newcomers that I think, uh, could quietly play a role for Texas going into this year. Um, tomorrow I'll be at practice. So we'll have a piece, especially on the narrative, you know, like the idea of Texas being back. We'll have a piece on that tomorrow. So you can look out for that.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. We'll have to do this again soon. Good luck this season. And, uh, I will talk to you soon, man. Appreciate it, Chase. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Uh, I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple podcast or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show, a five star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, tune in radio, soundcloud, Stitcher, uh, Google play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chase where you can, access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing i'm writing there fairly often and also follow me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon thanks guys